pastors, when pastors come together, you can have some unique dialogue, some unique interchange. And sometimes it's the gentlemanly art of one-upsmanship. You know about that? And uh, how many people walk the aisle? 7,000 walk the aisle. The church is still 100 people, but 7,000 walk. Those kind of conversations sometimes happen. Fortunately, I don't have that in my acquaintance at this point, but there's a story of three pastors sitting in a coffee shop, and they're just talking back and forth, and they're talking about the best posture for personal prayer. And, of course, one of them, the first thing he says, well, I believe that the best posture that shows humility and shows our position before God is seated with our head bowed and even our hands folded. He said, that helps me. Well, a second pastor was listening to that, and uh, he said, you know, that's okay, but I find it better, and I can concentrate better if I kneel. And so I always kneel when I pray, and I get down on my knees. It helps me to focus on who I am and who God is. And the third one said, you know, those are okay, but when I'm earnest in prayer, I do it best laying flat on my face, prostrate before the Lord, because it shows my dependence on him, and it shows that I'm looking to him for everything. And sitting in a nearby booth there in the coffee shop, there was a telephone repairman, and he couldn't stand it any longer. He said, well, I'll tell you this. The best prayer I ever prayed was hanging upside down off a telephone pole. Now, why would I say that? Well, that would give you a sense of urgency for your prayer, wouldn't it? <laughs> you, you would know who you were talking to and what needs you had. When, when Christ prayed this prayer that we're going to read in a moment, in John 17, uh, there's a sense of urgency to this prayer, partly because the next day he's going to be betrayed. So for his own sake, there's, there is that sense of imminent doom and danger that's coming. And yet, he knew why he was there. It, I don't think he was ever, what you'd say, worried. But, but there is a sense of urgency. But more than that, I think, we are on his mind. His people are on his mind. And he's concerned that he's going to leave them. You know, he's been there to protect them and to teach them and to walk with them. And now he's going to leave them. And so he wants to make sure that they're cared for. And much of this prayer has us in mind. It has his people in mind, his people of all generations in mind, uh, those who have walked with him and those who will walk with him. So as we look at John 17, I want to read again the first section, which we looked at last week, Christ's prayer for himself, in the first five verses, and then pick it up and read down through verse 9. So if you have your Bibles and want to track with me, John 17, we're going to just read the first nine verses to get started. Why don't we ask the Lord for help? Father, we have in our hands your word, and we pray for your insights. Lord, would your spirit speak to us through your word this morning? We commit it to you. We ask it in Christ's name. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him under authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, 
the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And then we come into view. I have manifested, I have made your name known to the people that you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the word that you gave me, and if they have received them, and they have come to know the truth, or know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And let's stop there. You know, as I read through this, uh, and I even read some of the other sermons, what I found is that it's impossible to deal with in a week. A, we're going to do it anyhow. But but B, that there is a, there are probably a hundred ways to approach this passage. You know, the Bible... It's full of passages like that. Some of them that are so rich, there's so much in them, that you can legitimately look at that passage and find different things, different treasures there. And as I read through this, the first thing I saw was he's talking about the marks, the characteristics of his people first. And, and so I'm going to go through it and read it as we just did, and then with a few comments about the marks of his people, the characteristics of these people. These are not, not requests that he's making for them. These are just things that are true. They're, they're things that are inherent in God's people in any age. And I, I think we just read the first of them. The first of the mark of his people, and it's true of God's people at every time and every age, is that they have received and know the truth. We saw that in verses 6 through 9. I've given them the truth, and they've received it. You know, Christ personified truth. He said, I am the truth. That's not very popular today to say that you know the truth. That do, you, do you find people who think you're arrogant if you say you have the truth? Uh, even a bigot if you say you have the truth? Um, what, what is the truth? Well, Jesus said, I am the truth. Uh, if they want to take issue with that, really they're not taking issue with us. We, we simply are receiving the words that Christ gave us, right? And Christ's words were, I am the truth. And then he says, I've given them the truth. And it's, it's all about me. It's about my Father. And so when we proclaim that word to people around us, yeah, we need to do it lovingly, and we need to do it carefully, and we need to do it diplomatically, but ultimately, we have a word of truth. And we can't retreat from that because they need to know the truth. This morning, we had a, a great discussion on John the Baptist. And some of the people thought I had to start this morning with a, with a message like John the Baptist. You brood of vipers, he said. But, but John the Baptist certainly spoke the truth. It cost him his life ultimately, but he spoke the truth, always spoke the truth, and we need to speak truth. Our 
well-being with God, our right standing with God, depends upon our understanding that he is the truth. God is a spirit, and they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, that message is not the best way to win friends and influence enemies, to say that we have the truth. And yet, that's the first mark of God's people, is they understand that there is one way, and, and the one way is Jesus. Then there's another mark, a second absolute truth. I see it in verses 10 through uh, 19. And let me just read those, and we'll come back and look at that in verse 10, starting. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Take note of that. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you've sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sakes I consecrate myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. So I, I think I see the second mark, second characteristic, things that are true about God's people in here, and it is where he says they are in the world, but not of the world. You've heard that. You've probably thought about that many times, that the Lord has left us on purpose in the world, but he doesn't design us to be of the world. We live in a tension. We live in a constant. Because we're in a world, and the world generally does not embrace Christ, does it? Do we see that much? And yet he's left us here. He's left us in the world, but not to be of it. How'd the world receive him? Pretty well. They love Jesus to death. I saw a quote by John MacArthur. You know, if John MacArthur said it, it has to be true, right? And, and this was a good quote. But it says, the more like Christ you are, the more the world will treat you like they treated him. Maybe we don't get much persecution because there's not much similarity. I don't know if that's true or not, but could it be that we're not that different? That we're not only in the world, but we are of the world? Could that be? And the Lord's called us to something. He's called us to, to, to be a unique, distinct people, a unusual people, living in the world, but not of the world. And just believing the truth about Jesus Christ will set us apart. You're going to be unique if you believe Jesus, if you believe his word. So I think the second mark there is that 
were still in the world. Now, the people he spoke this to are not in the world anymore, but they were when he said it. And as it carries forward and applies to us, we're still in the world. There's always been a generation of God's people in the world. But look at the third mark, and we're going to see it starting in verse 20 down through 26. And this is important. We're going to come back to it, but let's read it first. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be, become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you. They know that you have sent me. I make known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So what's the third mark of, of Christ's people there that I see? Is that others will believe because of their words. The reason that the Lord left us in the word, it world is so that we could proclaim his word, is that we'd be his representatives. We are the representatives of Christ on earth. So he's left us here with an express purpose, is that in each generation there would be people who believe. Years ago I had a good friend. His name was Ralph Royce. He had a motorcycle shop. Ralph was a very mechanical guy. He had a, a large motorcycle shop in Maeslick, Kentucky. Can't get there from here, uh, down south of Maysville, Kentucky. And, and Ralph was always thinking. Uh, he was putting turbochargers on motorcycles and things like that. But he, his mind turned in different directions. And, and he got in his mind, he was going to invent a perpetual motion machine. Something that would go with the energy that was stored in itself and did not require any outside energy. And he actually devised, it's hard for me to remember exactly what it looked like, but he designed, designed a little apparatus that was magnetic. And, you know, um, uh, opposites attract, same pole uh, repels, right? So he, he'd make this thing go, but he had, he had a problem in his design. He could never figure out how to trigger that magnetic pole in such a way that it could always go. And so it, it never worked. But, but his, his thought of the perpetual motion machine just brings me to think about Christ's church. Did you know Christ's church is a perpetual motion machine? Do you know that? Because by definition, a disciple of Christ <clears throat> is someone who makes disciples. And that's why he left us here. That's our purpose is that we perpetuate his church. We keep his church going as we bear witness to him and we speak truth to people. And then those people in the next generation speak to the next generation and the next generation. And so his church goes on and goes on. 
and it's perpetuated through the ages. And, and that's his design. That's why we're here. That's why he left us here, is to know him, to walk with him, to love him, to honor him, and then to make his name known to the people around us. So the third mark of his people, as I see, is that they're still in the world and they have a job to do. Now let's go back and look at it uh, in a little different way. Christ requests for his people, and just, I'm going to abbreviate them, but look through this with me again of the things that he asked for with regard to us. I, I see uh, the start of them, you could probably find others, but I see in, in verse 11, the verse I just referred to, Lord, keep them in your name, keep them. He says it similarly again in verse 15, keep them, protect them. So, Christ's first prayer for us is for our protection. Now, what's that look like? Well, listen. Listen to a verse. What shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate me, us, from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look, Father, protect them. Protect them from all pain? No, that's not what he's saying. Protect them so they'll know that in all cases, in every situation, whether it be a trial or victory, that in every situation that I love them and they're protected by my love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Let's pause on that for a second and think about that. I have a number of grandchildren, several of them here this morning, and there are certain things that I pray for my grandchildren. And I pray all the time. I seldom pray for their prosperity. Do you pray for your kids' prosperity, your friends' prosperity? I don't want them to be poor and paupers. But I, I seldom pray for their vocation. I, I don't care what they do. They can be barbers. They can be engineers. They can be brain surgeons. I don't care. I'm not letting them practice on me in either case. But... Uh, but they could be anything that, that God designed them to be. And, and that isn't important. But you know what's really important? Is that they understand what I just read. Is that they live their lives, they reside in a lifetime in the love of God. And that they know that. And, and if somebody's praying for me, would you pray that way? Would you pray not that I have what I need physically? I'll be fine. Whatever state I'm in, I'll be, I'll be fine. It's okay. But would you pray that I am satisfied in the love of God and that I know that it never leaves me? I'm protected by it. And I think when Christ prayed for us here, that what he has in mind isn't necessarily in this physical world. He's called us to live above this physical world. He's called us to live in the embrace of his love. And if you have that, Everything else is going to be okay. I didn't say easy, but everything's going to be okay because we're residing in, we're protected by the love of Christ.
Then he prays something else for us. You see it in verse 13. He says, let my joy, or let them have my joy. Now, I just talked about trials and troubles and everything. How does that fit with joy? But he doesn't say happiness. And you know this, but happiness is related to happenings. You know, so if I, if I have everything I need and my house is clean and the electric's on and I have everything I need, that's a happening, I'm, I'm good. I'm good with that. I'm okay. Well, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, let them have my joy. And on the way over this morning, a verse came to my mind. Um, it's in Hebrews 12. I, I don't know if I quoted exactly, but he says, Christ uh, is anticipating the cross. And he says that for the joy set before him, the joy, he's going to a cross. The joy set before him, he endured he endured scoffing, he endured the pain, he endured everything that came with it, and yet it says that it brought him joy. How could that be? How could it be? And how in the world could we have joy in the midst of maybe a difficult time? Well, let me tell you how you can have joy. No matter what comes into our lives, no matter what comes into my life, is that I have the righteousness of Christ today. You know why? Because Christ died for my sins. And because he loved me before the foundation of the world. And I have his righteousness today. And you know, I have a joy that comes from that. And, and so can you. And so should you. Have a joy that comes from that that surpasses happenings. It surpasses just the ordinary things of this life. It goes way beyond that. It goes to forever and forever. And I have the joy of knowing that nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus the Lord. Which kind of joy do you want? You want the joy of making a lot of money and having a big bank account and all of those kind of things, or do you want the joy of forever? And when Christ said, let my joy be on them, let them have my joy, he's looking way past this life. This is just a little segment of life, a little tiny bit. He's looking way past that. He's looking down the road. Let my joy be on them. Then the, the uh, next thing that I see him praying is that it, it goes maybe along with it, but he, he's praying that we would be set apart. You see it in verse 17. Sanctify them. Set them apart. Make them unique. Peter said, you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are a peculiar people, so that you could show forth the praises of him who has called you. Now, we shouldn't go out of our way to be weird. One of the words that we used in describing John the Baptist this morning was weird. He was a weird dude. You know, you look at John the Baptist's life, and he was one strange guy. The way he dressed, the way he ate, the way his message, he was a strange guy. Now, God isn't calling us to be weird I think we're going to be weird all by ourselves, just by the message that we have, right? Now, a lot of people probably called me weird in my life for other reasons, and, and I suppose that would be true. But if they're calling me weird because I am one of Christ's peculiar people, one of his special possessions, then I'd say thank the Lord for that. How about you? If they call me weird because I'm part of his holy nation, then thank the Lord for that. Good. If that's why they're calling me weird. And so we don't have to go out of our way to be weird. 
we're going to be just a little bit off bubble, just by virtue of where we live. The Lord says, set us apart. And then I love this last prayer that he prays for us. He says, let them be with me. It reminds me of John 14. Uh, I've read this verse many times, and you probably know where I've read it. I've read it many times at funerals, but it's applicable for every moment of every day. Christ said this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house there are many rooms, many mansions, the old translations say. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, that when, when I come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He prays the Father, Lord, let them be with me. And his design, his plan on his people is that someday we're going to be with him. That's an absolute. That's a truth. It's spoken from the words of our Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. And if you uh, can believe that he came to die for our sin, as he said he did, then certainly we can believe that he's gone to prepare a place for us. One of these days, he's coming again for us. And so he prays, Father, uh, let them be with me. Let them be with me so that we can be one. Then there's a couple things here that I see as kind of implicit instructions in this. Now, the word implicit, why did I use that? Because I couldn't think of another one. These are instructions that are part of this that we don't have to do anything, and he really isn't praying for. These are just truths that are, that are true about us today. And here's one of them. There's two of them. Uh, the first one is in, in verse 18, and he says, I've sent them out. And so the implicit instruction is go out, right? I've sent them out, go out. You know, next weekend... The elders are getting together for a, a retreat. And you know, one of the things that's on all of our hearts is that we believe that the Lord has put Wellspring in Alliance, Ohio, at this time for a mission. And that is to be a representative to him and to, and to encourage, exhort his people and to reach Alliance. And that's our purpose is to reach out into the Alliance. You know, nothing has changed. We don't mention these very much, but, but when people come in, we want them to encounter Jesus. We want them to feel the embrace of community as people come together, but we also want them to go out and engage their culture. That, that's not changed. That's still true. Uh, we would probably insert one more in there, and that is that we, we want to train and educate our people so they're capable of uh, being apologists, so they're capable of defending their faith in the world. But the Lord said, you're going to receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and that call is still on us. And so if, hmm, if they're in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part, then we probably need to think about what we're doing and right in our Jerusalem. You know, and as we meet together, one of the things we want to pray about and think about is how do we reach Jerusalem? In this case, Alliance. What do we do? How do we do that? You know, we've tried 
Ron was great at getting in the community, and he did a great job of that. And, and he mobilized uh, the church, and, and for the first couple summers I was here, I will say he wore the church out. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. But, he, but he, we were out in the community. We did parades. We did every uh, event in the park. We did all of these things. And why did we do that? Well, an effort to reach our Jerusalem. That's the purpose. And, and now I think we need to rethink that. The community has seen us. And now we've got to get into the lives of the people around us. And we've got to proclaim to them the truth. That's what we're here for. And we've got to get that word out into the world. And then while we're doing that, we need to come together to encourage and exhort one another. And, and, and that's what really we're all about. That's what Christ Church is all about. So he sent us out. That's the first implicit instruction. The second one is this. He said, I, I want him to be one with us, with you, Father, and me, and I want him to be one with one another. Now, what's that look like? Well, here's what it looks like, is that as people are baptized by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ, they come together to be just that, the body of Christ on earth. That's us. We are his body. We are his representatives on earth. And that's his design on us, that we are his representatives. And we are the ones who are, who are the voice of Christ. Somebody has said rightly that the only Christ many people will see is us, is his church. And, and you know, that's true. And Christ has always had that in his mind, is that I want them to be one together, united around me, and united around the common objective. I think that means that we need to look in the community and, and cooperate. Uh, M3, we've done some things with them. We've done some things with a couple churches that are doctrinally not totally aligned with us. And that's a difficult, that's a tension. The spirit of faith on the other end of town. But yet, I think we need to encourage them in their work of proclaiming Christ. And we need to figure out how we can do things cooperatively so that the body is unified in this community. And we want to be part of it, don't we? We want to be part of what's going on, what the Lord's doing. Well, I close that. If you have your bulletin, or I usually put outline on the back. You may or may not pay attention to it. But I, I thought through, what would the Lord have us do with this? What would God have us do with this? A lot of words so far. What would he have us do? Well, here's the first thing. I think the Lord would have us to be comforted by knowing that he prayed for our protection. And, and that should settle in on us. Christ prayed, Lord, keep them, protect them. And his presence protects us. His spirit protects us. So be comforted in that. I think we need to be filled with joy. I don't know if joy is going to have happiness, but we need the joy of the Lord because the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? And, and we need to be joyous. Listen, folks, if you are here in Christ, you're headed home, and it's a great place to be. I, I like life here. It's fine. I enjoy my life, and I'm not anxious to leave it, but when I do... I've got one that's a whole lot better beyond my imagination. And, and that, that should bring a joy, an irreplaceable 
an irreducible joy that comes into us, just knowing that we are his and, and that he cares for us and he loves us and he protects us. So let his joy be in us. Then the third thing is to be like him. We are one with him, is that we're to be like him both in word and speaking the truth and indeed acts of kindness. Uh, we're standing firm in truth and yet gentle and meek. That's another tension in our life, is to stand strong and not arbitrate the truth, but yet do it in a way that, that we are loving people and they know it. Uh, that's our mission. Then the last thing there that I see is to be assured that our homeland is with him. He said, let him be with me, and that this isn't our homeland. We are pilgrims, we're strangers, we're passing through. Don't sink your roots too deep. Don't look to, for your treasures here where moth and rust are going to corrupt. Uh, look for your treasures in heaven. That's where our treasure is. That's where our homeland is. I think that the other question that comes out of that to me is that Christ said, uh, I'm praying for them, but I'm not praying for the world. Where do you see yourself this morning? Where do I see myself? Am I among the them? that he's praying for? Or am I of the world who he was not praying for? You know, all of these riches that he's prayed that we have are for his people. And they're not for the world around us. They'll never know them. What's our job? Our job is to make him known. That's our job. Make him known. Be witnesses to him. And and make his word known, and make the love of Christ so obvious in our lives as we reach out in love. Let's pray. Lord, when you prayed you prayed for those people who would believe through the word of the disciples through the generations you prayed Lord that we would have your joy you prayed that we'd be protected kept Lord you prayed that we would be one you prayed that that we would be comforted by knowing that this isn't home We're not home yet and Lord all of these things that you we desperately need. And I pray this morning that if there's anyone who isn't convinced that you were praying for them, they're not convinced they've, they've accepted and believed in the truth that you brought, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by you. Lord, would you move in that heart this morning? And then for those, those of us would say with some confidence, yes, uh, you are my Lord, my Savior. I've trusted you. God, would you settle these things in our heart and give us a sense of mission? Give us a sense, Lord, of urgency. The world needs you. Alliance needs you. This neighborhood needs you. God, give us wisdom. Give us understanding. How do we reach our world? And then, Lord, give us the boldness. Help us to know you so well that we just reflect to others. Thank you, Lord, for praying for us.
Thank you for loving us when we're unlovable. Lord, we do want to be one with you. We want to be one in purpose. We want to be one in mission with you. And we want to be like you. So we commit ourselves to you this morning. Do your good work in each of our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name.